Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to you, Books in Critical Theory. On this episode, I'm talking to Professor Stuart Alvin about his new book, Foucault's Last Decade. Welcome to you, Books in Critical Theory. On this episode, I'll be talking to Professor Stuart Alden, who is at the University of Warwick and is a professor of political theory and geography, about his new book, Foucault's Last Decade, um, which came out in 2016, published by Polity Press, and is a genuinely fascinating book for so many reasons that I think we'll uh, we'll explore over the course of the podcast. To kick off with, though, um, I wonder if you could tell me a bit about your sort of interest in Foucault and what uh, what kind of motivated you to do this um, archival intellectual history. Well, first, thank you for inviting me to be part of this. I wrote my PhD on Foucault and Heidegger mainly, and so Foucault was somebody who I was reading from when I was an undergraduate through into the early years of my PhD, and at the time, this was in the mid-1990s, most of the, the material that we had by Foucault was material that he published in his lifetime, so there were the books, nearly all of which were in English translation, and then in the first year of my PhD, 1994, the French collection Diercri, which is a collection of all of the short writings that were published in Foucault's lifetime, whatever language they were in. And it was a a big four-volume, 360-text compilation of texts. And it it filled in so much of the detail between the major statements. So these were lectures sometimes that he'd given in in Brazil or in the United States or in Japan, um, all put back into French, even if they'd only been published in another language first. And it, it fascinated me to see the, the range of ways in which Foucault worked, from press conferences to lectures to um, academic articles to, to more formal publications and so on. And that really filled in a whole lot of detail about the, the story. And then right towards the end of my writing of the PhD, so this was in 1997, they published the first of his lecture courses from the College de France. Foucault taught there from 1970 until his death in 1984. And each year that he was there, he gave an entirely new lecture course that was based on his uh, research and and, and interests at the time. And so these lecture courses, the first one comes out in French in 1997, and the last one was only published last year, 2015. And those lecture courses spanning a 13-year period gave, again, a whole whole set of new insights into, into Foucault's work. And so I was interested in what those lecture courses would do, how those lecture courses would fill in and and, and elaborate on the story of what Foucault was working on. And then in in working on that, on particular questions that came up for me, um, realised that there was material in archives that had not yet been published, even in French. And some of that was available and some of that was still, at the time, restricted. And that this was uh, yet another sort of layer of material that I could investigate and interrogate. And as the more I got into this, the more I could see how these pieces fit together, um, how these could help tell a story. And so that sort of pushed me to go deeper and deeper and and then to do that archival work as well. So it was an old interest in Foucault. and, And part of the reason this project took me until this year to publish 
was because the material just wasn't available. The, the, the lecture courses hadn't been transcribed and, and published. Um, the archives hadn't been opened up. And so this, this allowed me to, to bring a long-standing interest in the project to, to a completion with this book. Before we get into, uh, I guess, the meat of the book, I'm, I'm really interested to know mm. about the, uh, the process of work and the kinds of, not negotiations, but the kind of the process of getting material, working in the archive, right. and actually what this might mean in terms of the kind of future of um, the study of, but also the kind of reception of Foucault's work. Sure. The, the, there are three main archives that have material by Foucault. There's a, a, a smallish collection at the Berkeley Bancroft Library, Foucault taught at University of California, Berkeley, from 1975 until his death. Um, went there either to give one-off lectures or was there for, for whole semesters to, to teach. And so they have a lot of material relating to his teaching in North America generally. They also have material that relates to Paul Rabinow's editorial work with Foucault. So, so Paul Rabinow was a professor of anthropology there, uh, taught um, with Foucault and worked with Foucault when Foucault was visiting wrote one of the first important secondary books on, on Foucault with, with Hubert Dreyfus. And then Rabinow edited the Foucault Reader in 1984, and Foucault gave him some unpublished material for that. So there are original versions of some of the texts in there himself. The other thing that the Bancroft Library has is a, a set of um, tape recordings, many of which are now digitised onto CD, of lectures, of interviews, of discussions with Foucault and so on. So there's the Bancroft Berkeley Library. The other... Um, set of material that's been available to people for some time is at IMEC, which is a, a contemporary French archive that has Derrida's papers, Althusser's papers, uh, and a number of Foucault's papers. And it used to be in Paris, but it's now moved to a, 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 an old abbey in Normandy, in a quite rural location, and it's now a residential archive and conference venue. And there they have some tape recordings, some material that overlaps with the Berkeley collection, but the, the key thing that they have there are work relating to Foucault's collaborative project. So things that he did in his College de France seminar, things that he did with Felix Guattari's Cerfi Research Institute, and also the archives of the Prison Information Group, which was a, a kind of political pressure group that Foucault set up in the early 1970s. And the entirety of their archive is, is housed at EMEC. And the third archive is what's at the Bibliothèque Nationale in, in Paris. And there are two parts to that. The first part is five boxes of material that have been available for some time, which have an early draft of the Archaeology of Knowledge and draft material for volumes two and three of the History of Sexuality, the um, Use of Pleasures and the Care of the Self. And then the new material, the sort of uh, the thing that's been most interesting, is there's 110 boxes of uh, material that Daniel DeFair, Foucault's partner, sold them uh, a couple of years ago. And this comprises drafts of books, Foucault's lecture material. Um, it comprises all of his reading notes on things. And, and that's the, the new thing that has really opened up. As yet, only about 40 boxes are available to researchers, partly because they're, they're keeping some stuff back that may be used for publication. And that material, which I use in, in part in this book, but mainly in the, the second of my two Foucault books, the one that will come out in 2017, um, that material has really opened up new ways of thinking about what Foucault is doing and how Foucault is working. So these archives, all of the material that I've had is, is publicly accessible. If you, if you make the effort to go to these places and, and work there, it's not that I have had privileged access to material, that I've been granted access to things that other people can't access. But I've just spent a lot of time working through the material that's available to try and piece together this story. My reading of the book is primarily an intellectual history, but... 
there's also a concern, I think, with um, the practices of Foucault's work, um, and that might be um, quite quite a nice way to kind of get into the maybe first and second chapters of the book mm. to think through what were his working practices. You've alluded to the seminars, the collaborations, right. and obviously, you know, we sometimes think of uh, these great thinkers as great thinkers alone. Mm. But you know, one thing that comes through really clearly at the start of the book is the sense of his collaborative uh, practices and the networks in which he was embedded. Right. I mean, I think the, the collaborative is, is hugely important to Foucault, and I hope that's one of the contributions that the book makes, is to try to situate Foucault into those networks. And one way to, to maybe illustrate that is that uh, Foucault taught at the Collège de France, and he gives the, the lecture courses. These are the ones that have been published. And these are 13 hours a year, at the beginning at least, where he would stand up in front of a packed room often with a second room with a tape um, relay going on to there. And that Foucault would give these as the individual superstar sort of figure. But he also uh, ran seminars at the Collège de France that ran alongside the lecture courses. And those seminars, it's much harder to find out what actually happened in those seminars because the, the archive traces are, are no longer or no longer extant or, or they're, they're extant but they're not available. And it's harder to work out what Foucault was doing in those, but he certainly thought they were important. And... What he was doing in Paris at the Collège de France, but also when he was sometimes a visiting lecturer elsewhere in Berkeley or in Levan in Belgium, he tried to constitute a group of like-minded people who could work on topics of shared interest. And we have some traces of what he did in the, the Collège de France seminars. So some people may know the Pierre Riviere book, which is a, a documentary history of the case of a, a young uh, peasant boy in, in Normandy in the 19th century who had killed most of his family and he was arrested after being on the run for a while and people thought he was an illiterate peasant boy who just had, had killed his family but while he was in captivity he wrote a very detailed first person account of what he'd actually done which begins I Pierre Riviere having slaughtered my mother brother and sister and Foucault and his colleagues in, in one of the first seminars discovered this manuscript and thought that this was an interesting story because not just did you have this first person account but you also had the medical examination texts, the legal transcripts, the, the, the psychiatric evaluation and so on. And so they could put this account from the first person alongside all these specialised accounts. And then they could add their own commentaries and framing material around them. So the first few years of the Collège de France seminar were devoted to this particular text. But some of Foucault's colleagues in that uh, seminar were also discovering other texts in the, the, the annals of um, public hygiene which was one of their main sources for this material. And some of those other accounts of people that had committed horrendous crimes uh, or, or people where there'd been some kind of interesting medical or psychiatric evaluation. Foucault's colleague, Jean-Pierre Peter, uh, published a couple of these. And then Foucault uses those um, source materials as, as things that he then offers a commentary on in some of the later lecture courses. Um, he also talks about how they were doing collaborative research in a slightly later seminar on hospital architecture, which is where he says he discovers Jeremy Bentham's text on the Panopticon, which of course becomes important in, in Foucault's book Discipline and Punish as a model prison. So some of these seminars I think are quite interesting in terms of the way that Foucault was sharing ideas with people and, and uh, constituting these research groups. There's also the, the work with the Surfi Institute, Qatari's group, uh, where there's various collaborative projects that they start doing about town planning, about the idea of habitat, about the idea of hospital design and so on. So these kinds of practices of um, collaboration are important. 
There's also, though, that Foucault spent a huge amount of time in archives and in libraries. And the Bibliothèque Nationale now has the notes that he took um, over many years, which are filed thematically and which I've worked through for the periods that I'm interested in. And this is clearly somebody who's just prepared to spend huge amounts of time reading, taking notes, and then later synthesising all of that material into the accounts that he presents in, in the history of sexuality in, in discipline and punish and so on. So there's that clearly a sort of an application of, of daily work to produce that volume of material. Uh, the, the estimate is 37,000 pages of material in the archive at the Bibliothèque Nationale. So there's, there's an enormous amount of work that, that goes into that. And so when Foucault's giving his lecture courses, he's talking about material that he's fairly recently, it seems, discovered. He's trying to draw themes together. He's trying to experiment and play around with ideas. And then the books that he publishes, and, and I would draw a strict distinction between the books he publishes and the lecture courses, which now appear to us as books. But the books that he publishes are a sort of distillation of uh, those with a particular style of writing that's quite different from the way that he, he speaks when he gives a lecture and so on. So there's a, a whole set of processes about how he um, researches either individually or collaboratively. Then he presents working versions of this in the lectures, talks about these in interviews and so on, and then turns them into the, the, the written final versions of the books. Um, so that, that's one sense of him as a sort of researcher. The other thing, and there, there are as yet relatively little in terms of archival traces to, to do this, but there are some version, early versions of books that exist in manuscript. Um, so I said the archaeology of knowledge, there's an early version of that from about two or three years before the book was published, which is, is very different. I've not worked on this in detail because it's outside the time period I've been focusing on so far, but it, it's almost like a, a book with the same title or a, a different book with the same title. Um, and Foucault wrote by hand, um, would only go to a typist at quite a late stage in the process. And so every version that's rewritten, there's not quite the same investment in the words that you maybe have in a word process document or something. Where you, So he would rewrite as well as redraft as, as he went along, if you, if you see the difference. And I think that's interesting. The, um, the other one, which I did work on it much more closely, was the early drafts of parts of the History of Sexuality, Volumes 2 and 3, where you can see various iterations of each chapter in the in the archive and how Foucault reshaped and reworked material, how he changed conceptual language, how he changed the, the illustration the quotes and so on that he used. And what I found there interesting was the very material trace of this, where he would work on a text, work on a text again with different uh, ink to, to, to annotate and edit, would then eventually give it to a College de France typist who would type up a version of it, which he would then again hand annotate, and then sometimes he would do the old-fashioned cut and paste. He would cut a slip of paper from one um, typed page, glue it onto a new sheet, glue another uh, passage later, and then write by hand the linking passage between the two. And then that, again, would go back to a typist for, for the next uh, version of this. And so for me, going through those various uh, versions of chapters that are, are in the published books, you could see much more closely the, the process of how these came together. So that, for me, was a, a really interesting insight into his working practices. As yet, we have very little of, of other books, um, but I suspect there are still traces of those in the archive too, which, which in time will allow people to do that kind of work with, with some of Foucault's other texts. I mean, there, there are so many things I could ask you about um, from the book, um, things that, um, you know, 
seem like throwaway comments from Foucault that actually open up huge debates about the nature of the academy and stuff like this. But I think mm. um, we might focus on the history of sexuality uh, because I think um, it, at least in my reading, forms the kind of the spine of the book mm. and is crucial to understanding Foucault's last decade. And actually one way of, of kind of uh, getting into that is just the really simple question about how did the project change over time, <laughs> which, which has got several chapters sure. in the book no, devoted to it. I mean, that's, that's a complicated story, and in a sense it took me a book to, to unpack that story. The, the last decade is from 1974 until Foucault's death in 1984, and there's a, a story that Daniel Defer, Foucault's partner, tells um, to one of Foucault's biographers where he says that Foucault finished writing Discipline and Punish on the 26th of August 1974, and began writing The History of Sexuality, Volume 1, on that same day. Now, August 1974 is almost exactly 10 years, um, within a couple of months, of, of when Foucault died. And so for that, for me, was the last decade, from the beginning of the writing of The History of Sexuality, Volume 1, which is published in late 1976, through to the state that it's left at Foucault's death in 1984. Now, when Foucault writes that first volume of The History of Sexuality, which is clearly trading on material that he's explored in some of his College de France courses from the mid-1970s. Foucault is talking about a thematic treatment of the question of sexuality. There will be this first volume that is, is out in December 1976, and this will be followed by five other volumes. And he says what these volumes will be on the, the back cover of the, the first French edition, and he also talks about them in, in terms of the um, in terms inside the book itself. So he says, after this introductory volume, which is called The Will to Know or The Will to Knowledge, there will be a volume on confession, and then there will be four volumes that look at what he calls the constituent subjects of sexuality. This will be the perverse adult, the uh, hysterical woman, the masturbating child, and the Malthusian couple, the, the idea of the nuclear family, as we might call it, the building block of a population and human race. And so Foucault says there's five, five books that will follow this introductory volume. He also talks about another book um, that will be outside the series. And he publishes none of those books. We, we know that he wrote at least part of some of them. Um, there are indications that at least part of them survive in, in manuscript, um, but these are not yet widely available. And then Foucault said publishes none of this. And his work seems to go off in a whole set of different detours. There's the, the work on governmentality in the later 1970s. There's a turn to, um, or what seems to be a turn to look at antiquity, which is a period he have not obviously talked about in much detail before. There's an interest in the early church and the early church fathers, um, an interest in, in much earlier periods of pagan antiquity um, from classical Greece through to the Hellenistic period, through to the early Roman Empire. So Foucault's work seems to go off in all sorts of different directions. And then when Foucault dies in June 1984, just before that, one volume came out a month before he died and one volume just a couple of days before he died, volumes two and three, which are on antiquity, pagan antiquity. And a fourth volume is promised at that time, which is in 1984, which will be on the early church, uh, but that volume is never published. And the indications are that Foucault was very close to completing it when he died. He was correcting the proofs even in hospital. Um, he told people in 1984 he expected the book would be out in October, but he dies in June 1984, and so that book is never published. So there's this big change between a um, sort of an early modern to modernity focus of, of what he plans to do in the mid-1970s through to this version that's on antiquity uh, in 1984. 
And so really what I was trying to do was to trace, well, how did that happen? How did he get from a version that he was planning and, and planning in some detail where he'd done quite a lot of the archival work, he presented ideas in the, the lecture courses, he began to sketch out volumes, he makes all of these promises in the first volume to, I'm not going to publish any of this, and I'm going to publish something quite different, but still under the, 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 the title of the history of sexuality. So the lecture courses seemed to me to, to offer a new insight into that. We had what parts Foucault published, uh, we have various interviews, we have various discussions and so on. But the lecture courses are clearly where Foucault is trying out the material that he's, he's working on at that time, or very close to that time. And the lecture courses, as they began to be published, uh, seemed to me to shed new light on, on those questions. And so the book is to try to trace that story and to, to account for that. And the, I mean, summarising a, a complicated story, the argument that I try and make in the book, which is, is based on what's in Foucault's lectures, what Foucault himself says, various traces and so on, is that Foucault gets stuck writing that second volume on confession. He's planned a volume on confession in the, the early 1970s, um, that in 1976 he's clear about how he's going to talk about this, and that as he starts to interrogate that material in more detail, to go beyond secondary accounts and start to consult primary texts, to, to read more broadly and generally, he begins to realise that something that he thought was really a 15th, 16th century change in the practice of confession, and particularly confession of, of sexual sins, is actually a practice that goes much further back in the Christian church. So he starts, on my reading at least, he starts to go back further through that material. He starts to interrogate earlier and earlier thinkers within the Christian tradition to un interrogate this question. And you can see traces of that, for example, in the security territory population lectures from 1977-78, where he talks a lot about the Christian pastoral and the idea of the, the, the governance of a flock of people and the, the, the religious leader is somebody who offers this spiritual government or spiritual guidance to people. And I think that's because Foucault's interested in those questions in his reading. But these are historically some earlier figures in the Christian tradition to the ones that the History of Sexuality Volume 1 talks about, for example. He then writes in the late 1970s and completes around 1980, 1981, a volume on confession, but it's on a much earlier historical period than he'd originally intended. And Foucault says at that time that the introduction to that book, so this is a book on Christianity, but, but Christian antiquity, so the early church fathers, figures like um, St. Augustine, Tertullian, Cass John Cassian, and so on, Foucault says there was an introduction to that book that was on pagan antiquity, that was to try and set that Christian work in context. And he says that that work on pagan antiquity at that time traded on a lot of material that was drawn out of secondary literature. And he thought that some of this was a bit cliched. It wasn't as thoroughly historical as he wanted it to be. And so he puts this, I think, almost complete manuscript on the early church and confession aside and starts to work on antiquity in order to provide a better basis for the introductory material to this book. And this then leads him into a long detour where he spends a lot of time in a lot of lecture courses examining antiquity. That material on antiquity becomes the, the raw material, as it were, for History of Sexuality, Volume 2 and 3, as, as actually published. And then they would provide the, the context within which a book on confession in the early church would make sense. Now, had Foucault lived even a year longer and that fourth volume on, on confession had been published, I think it would have made a whole lot more sense about what Foucault was doing and the thematic continuity between the early historical version of History of Sexuality and the one that's actually published. 
But because Foucault dies, because this publication process is interrupted, we're left with the antiquity contextualizing introductory, in a sense, materials of the book on confession, which has not yet been published. So what I what I try to do is to in the book is to try to reconstruct as much as we can on the basis of currently available materials, as much as what we can know about what Foucault was trying to do in the mid-1970s and then what he was trying to do in the 1980s. Um, we don't have access to the fourth volume of the history of sexuality, although it still exists in manuscript, and the indications seem to be that it will be published one day. But I suspect it will be the last thing they publish after they've published all the other lecture courses that they can uh, and other material. Um, and we don't have access to the material that he drafted in the 1970s on the original plan, um, although that seems to have been advanced to varying degrees depending on which book. So I think he wrote quite a bit of the book on the perverse. I think he wrote quite a bit of a book on, on confession in the medieval church or the late medieval to early modern period church. Um, how much he wrote of the, the planned book on women seems very unsure. Um, how much he wrote on the book planned on, on racism population seems unclear as well. So we have various indications and I try in the book to outline as much as I think we can tell from what's currently available about where Foucault was with these various promised but unpublished books. Um, and so really for me, confession is the key that, that runs through this entire decade. It's not the only theme by any means, but, it, but it's a key theme that I think Foucault is trying to work with um, and that, that leads him down what seem to be detours, I think are actually ways of trying to make sense of this particular question. I wonder, actually, um, if we might think through the concept of confession, um, perhaps by not um, directly or kind of solely linking it to the idea of truth-telling, but, but as you identify, you know, this kind of interest in, in confession leads from the starting point at the end of Volume 1 through to this uh, concern with the regulation of, of the self in antiquity and, and these kind of things. So, yeah, I wonder if you could chart the sort of um, if not the shift, but but the kind of the meanings of confession through volume one to volume three. Well, in, in a sense, it actually goes further back than that. Uh, the the one of the lecture courses is only two that haven't yet been translated into English of the, the Collège de France courses, but a course from 1971-72, Penal Theories Institutions, has a discussion of medieval trial by ordeal um, as a way of trying to understand the birth of the modern judicial state. And so Foucault's clearly interested in that question there. And it comes through into some of the lecture courses. So the Abnormals lecture course has a discussion of confession in the, the 15th, 16th century. And then it appears as a key theme in, in History of Sexuality, Volume 1. When Foucault's interested in confession at that time, it's, it's still because he's uh, interested in the question of power. So about the relation of power that um, a person that you confess to, whether this is a religious figure or whether this is a, a judge or somebody else in a criminal investigation, what relation that, uh, of power can be understood through those kinds of, of, of dynamics between, between people? And so Foucault's interested in this in, in um, criminal procedure. He's interested in terms of psychiatry. He's interested in terms of uh, the, the Christian practices of confession. As he moves through historical periods, it, it shifts in a sense, I mean, it's still a, a shared problem and many of Foucault's concerns continue throughout this process, but it becomes much more to do with the relation between the subject and the, 
and truth and about how telling um, an account of, of yourself either to somebody else or perhaps in the form of a private diary that you might keep can be a particular way of understanding yourself, of constructing a relation to yourself. And that then runs through into some of Foucault's later uh, interests. So he's interested, for example, in, in Marcus Aurelius's meditations, um, you know, texts by the, the Holy Roman Emperor, uh, sorry, but the Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius, who, who's interested in, in that narration of a, a story about himself. He's interested in various other accounts of this, about how you can um, understand your relation to your, um, to your actions, to your desires, to your thoughts and so on. And confession is a theme in many of his lecture courses. It's a, it's a theme in the, uh, the course he gives in Levin in 1981, um, which has been translated into English as wrongdoing, truth-telling. It's a, a, a question in the Government of a Living lecture course from 1980-81 in, in Paris, uh, and then it comes through in some of the late work on antiquity. So in a sense, it's that shift between how, how does confession help us to understand power relations to how does confession help us to understand the emergence of what we might now call subjectivity. But the, the, the running theme through this and through, I think, a lot more of Foucault's work is this question of truth. And Foucault uses that word and interrogates that word at, at various times, but he says at one point in the, the 1980s, you know, my long-standing project has been the politics of truth, but it's taken me a really long time to realise that. Now, Foucault does a lot of these. Well, what I was always intended to think about was, was this, the, the, the theme or topic that is on his mind at that moment. And we need to be a little bit sceptical about how much um, rewriting of, of his own work or sort of repackaging re, um, of his own work is going on there. But, but by and large, I think that's actually a, a revealing way of thinking about Foucault's um, interest. It's there, I think, even as far back as the history of madness um, with the, the question of um, the emergence of modern psychology. Um, so it, it's a, a theme that's there in, in various ways in various parts of Foucault's text, but I think he's fascinated by this idea of confession as, as a theme that links religion, judicial practice and psychology. Um, that for him, I think, is a really fascinating question and this relation of how telling the truth about yourself um, may also link to, to personal issues about his own um, identity as well. But I think that, that's that's really the theme that runs through um, at least on one reading of how you can, you can pull these things together. And, and where does he sort of um, get to? Uh, by the time we're into the latest uh, or the last chapter of the book, you know, you're concerned with his interest in uh, Parisia, if, if I pronounce mm. that correctly, and um, you know the kind of the core um, idea of, of truth telling. So where, where does he sort of where does he end up on this this journey of understanding? Right. So, so Foucault's really last three lecture courses. So two at the College de France and one that he gives at Berkeley in the the autumn between the two spring courses at the College de France um, are all really concerned with this notion of Parisia, and Parisia is a a notion that he finds in classical Greek texts, but he finds through to early Christianity. And it's about uh, a practice of truth-telling, but truth-telling in a way that might involve some risk. So he, he translates it as, as frank parler, or frank speaking, uh, or free speaking. So it's the type of speech that, that where somebody in a position of, of weakness might tell somebody in, in authority over them, sort of an unpleasant truth that they might not want to hear, but they feel that this is a duty that they should do. Or it's being asked a, um, 
requested to give a view on something and saying something, even if it might have some kind of risk to you. And Foucault's interested in this in, in various texts. He talks a lot about Euripides' plays. He talks about this in some um, other thinkers from antiquity. He talks about it in terms of some of the historical writings like Thucydides. Um, but he also talks about it in terms of early Christian texts. And really what I think Foucault's doing in, in around 1983-84, these last few lecture courses, is outlining what may be the, the next project, in a sense, after the history of sexuality. From about 1983, he seems to have got most of the raw material of the history of sexuality worked out, and he's, alongside these lecture courses, is trying to edit it into the right shape, trying to complete it, trying to finish up how it all might fit together. But I think in the lecture courses, he's actually exploring, although in a similar historical period, um, and again with this shift from antiquity to early Christianity, he's actually exploring a, a related question rather than the, the same question. And this, I think, relates to a project that for a long time Foucault was running alongside the, the project on sexuality, which is a project about what he calls, in various ways, practices of the self or technologies of the self or the care of the self. And there are, what, there are moments when that project kind of links to the history of sexuality project, where some of the same texts are being interrogated or where he may make a, a, a reference in the, the volumes of the history of sexuality about these practices and so on. But I think it was a, a discrete project that he intended to write up as, as books under various titles. At one point, he called it The Care of the Self, which is then a title he reused for the third volume of the history of sexuality. And, and that shift, I think, has confused quite a lot of people. But Foucault very clearly says there will be a book that will be separate from the history of sexuality series with this title, which will have chapters on. And he lists some of the things that we'll talk about. Um, about practices of self-writing, about narrating and talking about yourself. He says there'll be a long reading of Plato's Alcibiades in there. Now, when Foucault publishes a book called The Care of the Self, none of that material's in there. He's, he's reused the title for, for a slightly different um, arrangement of material. But a lot of that material still exists, either some parts of it he published, other parts of which um, exist in manuscript, others are still locked in the archive, um, of, a, of a project that would be about a similar time period, so from pagan antiquity through to early Christianity, about various practices of the self. And parisia, or, or free speaking, I think is one of the themes that he's interested in exploring in there. And again, as you, as you say, it's a, it's a way of thinking about this question of truth, but it's also a way of thinking about the question of truth in relation to, to relations of power, which is obviously a long-standing concern of Foucault. So I think, and, and this is what chapter eight of the book starts to do, is to sort of say, even though Foucault didn't finish the history of sexuality project, and, and his death was, I think, a key reason why it didn't get completed on, on the, the, the revised version that he intended, he's already beginning to think about new projects. And, and there are ones beyond that as well. In, in parallel to the lecture course at Berkeley, he's beginning explorations with students there about a project that would take him back to a much more um, contemporary period of history, so the early 20th century. And that's, again, a project that he, he initiates. He begins conversations with students. He's got a plan of how that's going to go. And, and that, again, is, is cut short by, by his death. So Foucault's lecture courses by about 1981 have finished with sexuality in, in large part. He's already got most of the material, which he then takes a few years to turn into published books. But in the 1982 course, which is around a lot of these technologies itself, and then the 83, 84 ones on Parisia, he's already beginning to explore future projects uh, about where he might go from, from that point on. So it's 
you know, we have indications of that from the courses, from, from what archival material is available, and I suspect that there is more to come. But Foucault's already sort of two steps ahead of, of, of where his um, major writings, his books, are in that process. He's, he's already well ahead in thinking about things. And, and it's funny in a way because obviously this period um, sees some of his most influential work that essentially is not in the form of uh, well-codified, well-thought-out books. So right. um, it's funny that, you know, we're, we're sort of talking through uh, chapter eight of your book and future projects, mm-hmm. but, you know, we've not unpacked something like governmentality, which has been hugely uh, influential and, and important as a concept. And then, I mean, obviously in the last, I guess, you know, a couple of years we've seen um, what are, if not minor, but, you know, um, almost kind of, um, yeah, small engagements with small comments on auto-liberalism mm-hmm. and what will go on to be, ne- you know, neoliberalism and Foucault's yeah, kind, of, kind of reading there. And, and I'm just, I, I say that to give it a, a sort of a sense of how, how rich the book is and, and how much is, is going on there. Um, and I, I wonder actually if, if you could say a bit about um, governmentality and partially the kind of the sense of where this came from practically because obviously you know filtered through the publication of excerpts or individual lectures it gets into English and now you know is is really influential but also maybe where where it's where it's situated within his last decade right so the governmentality material is is late 1970s and there's there's two courses that were published together in French um in 2004 which are the Security, territory, population, the birth of biopolitics. But the course that follows those, the government of the living, is, is very clearly a continuation of that same line of inquiry. And you could trace it back earlier, the Society Must Be Defended course from 75, 76 has already got anticipation of some of those themes in there. But the, the text, which for so long was just called governmentality and was the one that so many people were using, was, was first published in Italian, an Italian translation of the French um, and then was translated, I think, initially from Italian into English before it was published in French. And that was the fourth lecture of the Security Territory Population course. And Foucault begins that course with looking at various practices of town planning and inoculation against the smallpox virus and so on, and then talks about sort of a, a thematic bringing together of these themes in that lecture. So a single lecture of one of his courses takes on this kind of life of its own, um, and then people like Mitchell Dean write a whole book on governmentality and there's sort of a burgeoning school of governmentality studies and so on. And then it's only in 2004, that, that in French, and then I think it's 2007, 2008 that they're translated. Only then can we resituate that single lecture back in the context of, of that wider study. Now, a couple of people did really valuable work before the courses were out in terms of contextualising that. One of them was Colin Gordon who in the introduction to the Foucault Effect book, right, um, Colin Gordon attended many of the lectures of that course, um, does a, a very good job of situating it within the wider thematic of what Foucault is doing and where Foucault is going with these kinds of issues. The other person is Thomas Lemke, who wrote a, a very good book on, on Foucault. Um, it's a German book. Um, the title would be in Foucault and the, um, the Critique of Government. And they did, I mean, Thomas Lemke worked with the tapes before they were published in order to contextualise that. But so much of the work in, in certainly in Anglophone governmentality studies ran off with this, this sort of one fertile idea and then applied it in all sorts of different ways, but without seeing how Foucault himself had done that. So you've got these sort of 
twin track histories in a sense of, of what Foucault did with something and what people in isolation from so much of Foucault's own material did with that idea. Um, same to an extent is true with the, the course that immediately follows it, which in a sense is part two of the same inquiry. Security territory population looks at from uh, the early Middle Ages through to um, the, the modern period, uh, the birth of biopolitics, which is a misnamed course. It's not really about birth of biopolitics at all. It's really a course about um, economic governance, which looks much more at the 20th century. And this is where Foucault starts to interrogate the question of, of neoliberalism out of various traditions, the American Chicago School, out of the German auto-liberal school, uh, various other sort of intellectual lineages of that. And that, that's Foucault's most contemporary course, because it really is a, a course to try and make sense of where things were in 1979, um, and particularly in France in 1979, of, of the um, Giscard de government and the economic um, reforms that are being done, Raymond Barr's economic plan and so on. And Foucault's trying to make sense of that by doing a kind of historical interrogation of, of, of where that got. In recent years, since we've had the publication of this full course, people have, have tried to fit Foucault into a wider history of neoliberalism. And various people have written interesting things about uh, the history of neoliberalism that uses some of Foucault's work or supplements it or adds or critiques and so on. And have tried to situate, you know, what did Foucault really think about neoliberalism? I, there's a, a slightly notorious line that Foucault had a sympathy towards neoliberalism, um, but I think that that is is misplaced. Just as I think the idea that Foucault was this sort of um, preemptive critic of neoliberalism is also, I think, think misplaced. I think the logic of how Foucault is working is sometimes lost here. He's, he's much more trying to understand sort of internal dynamics of a text, how the text is working, what frame of reference it's working within, how it internally all fits together and what it's trying to do, rather than trying to make an immediate, like, I'm for this or I'm against this kind of... I mean, that just isn't Foucault's style of working. And Foucault is interested in, in neoliberalism for a range of reasons. Clearly, the, the immediate French context, the political context, is important. But he's also interested in this idea of the, the birth of what he calls homo economicus, the economic man, um, of a figure who is supposedly, in this, this particular way of thinking, he's making these rational economic calculations about what's in their interests or not in their interests and so on. And I think he sees that as a stage within the, the, the history of subjectivity. And we, we sort of touched on this when we were talking about truth, but a lot of what Foucault's interested in, in terms of sexuality, sexuality is a way into the question of subjectivity. That sexuality is, in a sense, a privileged insight into this. I think he sees that at this time in 1979, the economic questions as a privileged insight into the birth of this economic rational subject. And that is at least part of the reason why he's interested in interrogating these texts and trying to understand that. Is it the, the Gary Becker line, the entrepreneur of oneself? Well, that's a, you know, it's a line that Foucault finds fascinating um, as a way of thinking about this relation that we have through our actions to our own essence, our own subjectivity. So I think that's that's a key reason that Foucault's interested in that. And Foucault's work, is, you know, as we're discussing here, is incredibly fertile. He throws out ideas which he then drops and doesn't carry on with himself. Um, and then other ideas which maybe are not so interesting to, to more people are ones that he gets fascinated with and, and then works on in great detail. But 
there's a, there's a slight tendency to sort of instrumentalize Foucault, that, that anything that people find in Foucault can be used. How can you apply it? How can you put it to work? How can you become your you know, theoretical frame or something like that? And what I've tried to do in this book is actually resist that. I'm, I'm much less interested in what people have done with these ideas than trying to reconstruct as best that I can what Foucault was trying to do. Why was he interested in this? Why did he go down this seeming detour? Why were these things part of his intellectual history or his intellectual story? Um, and to try to work out, well, why did he do that for himself? What, why was, what was the motivation between the terms of these kinds of questions? So, you know, people will say, oh, you know, the neoliberalism, you don't engage with the debate about whether Foucault is a neoliberal or not. You don't engage with the governmentality school and that. Sure, I don't do that. that. That isn't what this book is about. This book is an attempt to, to focus very much on what, what I think Foucault was trying to do. And I'm not trying to say that I've got some key to unlock Foucault that nobody else has discovered. It is based on what evidence that I can find. It's very much, a, I hope, a historian's book around this. It's, there's, a, there's a comment here that if you put it in relation to this comment, we'll, we'll unlock this particular tiny puzzle. And that, that builds towards the next point. There's an archival trace here that allows us to reconstruct a gap that, that is missing in a published trace. Those, those kinds of things. That's very much what I was trying to do in and, this. And this project continues with the next book. Right. So the books are coming out in, in reverse chronological order. The, um, the second book is called Foucault, The Birth of Power. And it's a book that's on really the 1969 to 1974 period. So the, the one immediately preceding the Foucault's last decade. And it's really a book that um, traces how did Foucault get from the archaeology of knowledge to discipline and punish? How did Foucault write discipline and punish in a sense? And it's a book that, again, uses the lecture courses that we have. It uses the uh, Bibliotheque Nationale materials, Foucault's reading notes, very extensively. Um, and it uses all of the other traces of materials that we have about that, particularly his collaborative work, both his collaborative activism so the prison information group but also the health information group which is much less talked about in, in uh, Foucault's work uh, but also the collaborative research project so some of the things he was doing in his seminar but also the, the work with Qatari's Surfi group and it, it's a book that tries to say you know discipline and punish is, is the main published output of that period but it's by far from being the only thing that comes out of that there are uh, research reports that Foucault edits. There are anonymous texts that he clearly had a hand in, even though I'm sure he didn't write the whole thing. There are various other traces in the archive. There's the activism. So it tries to put the activism and the intellectual work together to talk about that period in, in Foucault's work. And for that, the um, EMEC archive, which I mentioned right at the beginning, with the prison information group material was, was really important. Um, but I, as I said, I tried to look at the health group, which is... It's a fascinating story. Foucault didn't have nearly as much involvement with the health group as he did with the prison group, which he effectively ran. But the health group, which was interested in things like um, immigrant health, um, industrial accidents, and, and uh, things that could happen to people that were working in factories, so um, silicosis in miners or, or lead poisoning for people who worked in a car battery factory, but also the major campaign that they were involved in was the abortion rights struggle. And the work that Foucault and colleagues did, a lot of medical doctors that worked with the group and, and some um, other activist groups in that period when um, abortion was illegal in France through to the period where abortion became uh, of limited availability within France. And, and this group that Foucault was involved with 
uh, was crucial in that, that struggle. It was by far the only group, and other groups had important roles to play. But I tried to reconstruct that story there on the basis of what there is in, in newspapers and archives and so on around that. So again, it, I mean, that, that developed out of this book. The, the two opening chapters of a long manuscript version of this book were taken out because this book was so over length. Um, and that became the germ of the, the, the second book uh, that looks at that, that slightly earlier period. So the books are conceived to, to work independently, but they could also be read together. Um, but they're coming out in the reverse order. And that's 2017? Yeah, it should be out in January, February. I've just sent off the proofs and the index this week. So it, it really is close to publication. Thanks for listening to New Books in Critical Theory. I've been your host, Dr. Dave O'Brien. On this episode, I was talking to Professor Stuart Elton about his new book, Foucault's Last Decade, which was published by Policy Press.